Oscar, where's 1049 Park Avenue? This is 1049 Park Avenue! Can two divorced men share an apartment without driving each other crazy? Hello, and welcome to 1049 Park Avenue, an odd couple podcast. Ted Linhart, Garrett Eisler here. Uh, we're the next, still here. Yes, the next two still episodes. here. Okay, uh, including this one. So we're going to talk about the world of the odd couple before the TV show and not part of the TV show. So we're going to talk about the plays, the original movie. We're going to also address the sequel movie, which technically is after the series but not part of that canon and then in a couple weeks we're going to talk about all the content that came after the odd couple including the new odd couple related to the series yeah the the cartoon whatever that's called fish something oddball couple oddball couple but they're fish right they're animals um and we had some other and then of course the matthew perry uh version as well all right, so today we're going to talk about stage and screen. Yeah. And Garrett, you're going to but kick no, first us off. I, I wanted to um, follow up on something from our interview with Lee from last week, where Lee, uh, on the air, opened my eyes to the, uh, we were talking about all the edits in the series and syndication and DVD and how can we ever watch like the full original master cuts, you know, and he suggested I check out the Pluto TV uh, uh, versions, which has the first three seasons. And uh, I was aware that Pluto had it, but I wasn't aware that they were showing a, a different edit. And uh, I have to say, you know, so far I, I tested two. The, the two I picked to test were um, Odd Monks and uh, I Gotta Be Me because I remember both of those had Odd Monks has musical cuts and other but other things that were restored and then I gotta be me I noticed a big difference between the DVD version and the the decades version so I want to see if they felt complete and they did so I was very encouraged by that um but what's really surprised me and uh encouraged me was that if you go to Pluto and you look up the seasons and to select an episode, they're not in the usual order. They're, they actually list them in what I call the Edward Gross order, which is the order they were taped. Oh, interesting. And the, but they don't have seasons four and five on Pluto. Unfortunately, no. Um, but if they ever did, that would be great. Uh, but you... What's, now it's weird. They don't. They just go ahead and call season. They call, for instance, uh, you know, season. As it aired, season one, episode one was laundry orgy, but F- fight of the Felix was the first one they made. But they call that season one, episode one, even though it never. It only maybe for script purposes it was. And now what I think is odd about that is that this tells me that there's someone at Pluto who is an odd couple no. super fan. No, I don't believe that's correct. How I would believe, they know this? How would they? I believe why that. Would the idea occur to them to put So I, I believe, first of all, 
I, I think you're going to bring this up. Pluto is not a very good service. And I think um, Pluto. <laughs> I have some problems with Pluto. Pluto, if, you, if you're listening, I have some problems. I looked at Pluto, uh, like looked at their TV dramas and they would have like Alf in there. <laughs> I believe that. The, well, I Alf believe, isn't funny. So, I, you know, it's maybe appropriate. I believe the shows came with paperwork or mm. files mm. and that in some sort of Paramount coding system, there's a there's a category for order mm. and that they have a production order in there mm. not an air order and that pluto isn't is just randomly taking some sort of field yeah. and stripping it that way right. and i think they're doing it you think it's clever and smart <laughs> i think right. it's an unintentional error actually uh, yeah right it is an error technically yeah yeah and that's what i think yeah. is happening i don't believe that Pluto has the, the people executing You don't believe that. that there's a secret odd couple fan no. who has the same agenda I do, which is like he, I thought there was someone at Pluto who had the same idea I did, like the holy grail of, to put together the holy grail of odd couple uh, releases. I, I don't believe true. Now, the way to, the way I, what I'd like to have happen now is to that person who is that secret odd couple fan, email us. Yes. That's, tell us we're wrong. Right. And then we're going to have them on the, on the show. That's, I was about to say like, you know, Please reveal yourself. Yes, but no, I believe it is posted by a group of tech people yeah. who simply are taking a, an, a, a, in that, a so field. That, that data is somewhere in the- There's a metadata with yeah. production order and they don't know the difference production order and error because most shows don't air that yeah. haphazardly. So what's great is that you can watch, uh, you, can, you can keep a list and watch them in the usual order, but if you watch them in order on Pluto, you're actually watching the order they were filmed in. Did you just say Pluto? <laughs> yes, I don't know why. Okay. Uh, Pluto. Um, you can watch them in the order they were filmed, which is deceptive sometimes. Like it doesn't mean if there's no effect on the through line of the plot. Uh, sometimes there will be inconsistent. Sometimes they the order they filmed in was not always uh, deliberate. They sometimes knew things were going to be in a different order, such as Felix remarries at the end. So, but you do get to see certain patterns, like Nan you realize that Nancy, that Oscar's not cheating on Nancy at the end of season one by <laughs> getting involved with these other girls. You know that actually the Nancy episodes all come almost in a row. But season like five that. would look weird if you aired it. Yes, in and right. What you it also starts to look weird. Uh, and you also see Jane Dulo in like two episodes back to almost back to back playing two different women. Uh, all that stuff we've discussed before. Anyway, okay. What enough about. Well, don't you want to say something about the Pluto app? Well, you know, we, I guess we have this platform. We might as well say to Pluto, Pluto, uh, that uh, you got to do something about that interface. You know, it's just like you got to be able to turn it like as soon as you go to Pluto. It just wants to play you its version of TV, whatever video is live streaming. I guess they they're trying to stand out, right? They want to be a real live streaming service, like a sort of an alternate to, alternative to television, which means there's a huge uh, guide that you have to scroll through to get their channels. But most of us who watch streaming just want to like see what's on demand, right? That seems like kind of the whole point. Yeah, I mean, there's another service called Tubi that's the same thing, but their interface is good. You right, can, I like you, Tubi, yeah. Yeah, so Pluto, you just, you can't, I can't pause. What It's just terrible. You can't find what yeah. you want. There's the right. TV's always playing. It's I, blocking I, what you're trying yeah, to Yeah, it's for. horrible. Uh, I, I tried to watch 
uh, I'm watching The Pen is Mightier because I hadn't seen that since we first did the podcast, mm-hmm. which I don't think has any of these cuts, major cuts issues, or maybe it does. I don't know. Um, so I'm enjoying watching it, except for the experience of getting to watch it. <laughs> right. And okay. finding it. It's hard to pick up where you left off. It's hard. To... Yeah. All right. Let's okay, move on. Enough. Go ahead. All right. Well, I, actually, it's very relevant to me because I watched um, much of some of the content that we're discussing this week. Yeah. Odd Couple 2 is on. Yeah. Pluto, Pluto has both odd, both odd couple movies, but Paramount, the odd couple movies also on Paramount Plus. But it's leaving July thirty first, well, which this I'm is very so, timely. Very good timing again yeah. that uh, we did this because last time I discovered a lot of the I think some of the odd couple episodes are leaving Paramount Plus. So today, yeah, as Ted said, we're uh, this was kind of my idea to do what I like to call the Neil Simon odd couple universe. Like we uh, we thought today we would take a break from. What you could call the ABC Odd Couple Universe or the Randall Klugman Odd Couple Universe and or the Gary Marshall Odd Couple Universe and just go step back and get to its origins with Neil Simon because the play itself has an interesting history other than outside of even the TV show and we've talked so much especially lately that all that season one talk we've had about how it grew out of the movie so much and that Paramount really was um, treating this as a spinoff. Is that what you call it? A, a film. So, um, which reminds me of the great story I think I've told here before, which is how like parent, Swifty Lazar, who was Neil Simon's agent, as one day in November 1963, right, of all times, Neil Simon tells his agent, Swifty asks Neil, Doc Simon, uh, what are you working on? And he says, I just had a new idea for a play. Uh, and he said, what's it about? It's about um, these two divorced guys. They move in together, they're roommates, and one, they're complete opposites. One is a total slob and a, a heel, and the other is all uptight and neat freak. And they end up having this, they have this dysfunctional marriage with each other that it reenacts all the problems they had in their marriages. That's all he had. That was, he just had the premise. And he says, do you think uh, it's a good idea? He says, I think it's not only a good idea if you're for play, but well, I'm going to sell that to Paramount. <laughs> he says, I don't have a script. It's okay. Just come out to the coast and uh, come with me and we'll go meet with the Paramount people and uh, we're going to pitch this. He flew out. The meeting was scheduled for November 23rd, 1963, turns out. Oh. Uh, the day after the Kennedy assassination, which Neil Simon in his memoir says like, uh, you know, not a great day for laughing, uh, for talking about comedy. And I think they postponed it maybe one day or something, but he went in while the country was in mourning. Uh, and Swifty, they sit down and Swifty says, okay, doc, tell him the idea. And he tells the, says exactly the same thing, the one sentence pitch to the Paramount guy. And he, and he says, okay, yes, we'll, we'll buy this. We want the rights to this in perpetuity. We want like whatever, I think they invested in the play uh, and but you know it was all understood that they had the movie rights because I think they had just done the same with Barefoot in the Park, which was a big hit, and uh, the play it is, and uh, and then he, he Neil Simon talks about getting on the plane back to New York and realizing oh now I have to write this play, and uh, but that's how Paramount you know it, it, it's still we still have it on Paramount Plus you know it's uh, that meeting that happened uh, almost sixty years ago. Um, so where should we start? I think, you know, we've kind of talking about the, we're not going to talk a lot about the play as the script was in 1965, which is when it first premiered on Broadway. 
um, be going to talk about the play via the movie because the 1968 movie is, as far as the script goes, about at least 90% the play as it was, and with some scenes taking place in a restaurant or on the roof of the building that are basically the same dialogue as the play. Do you want but to mention the origin of the, like how he came up with this idea? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the idea, which has been, there's been some discrepancy about whose version is telling the story, but it's basically consensus that this was his brother. His brother, Neil Simon had a brother, Danny Simon, who among common, who was the older brother and was first was more successful, uh, was uh, a bigger success uh, at when Neil was starting out uh, because he had been a very successful television writer. And he kind of helped Neil get on the Sid Caesar show. Uh, and so Danny Simon was someone who's actually, yeah, was very popular and admired amongst other comedy writers. I was just, I was reading Woody Allen's autobiography last year and he, uh, spends a lot of pages talking about Dan working with Danny Simon as a young comic and writer and think he basically thinks says Danny Simon taught him all the basics he needed to know about comedy writing. So uh, Danny turned out that he got divorced, his wife left him and he moved and a guy a friend moved in with him who also got divorced and Danny was basically the Felix and the other guy was the Oscar and they would just and Neil Simon would go over there and they would be having these domestic spats. They would be having, they looked like an old married couple. Well, this guy was, let's just say his name was Roy Gerber. Right. And he, he was he an agent. He was agent for the Beatles. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm reading, I'm reading an obituary okay. now from yeah. him. He also represented Shirley Jones, Vic Damone, and Sid Caesar. Oh, so there was the Sid Caesar connection. Yeah, I guess that's how they knew each other. Um, so now, Neil, uh, being a good brother, was like saying to, and encouraging Danny to write this as a script. Danny had not written a play, I don't think, and uh, I think he was really on Danny's case, like, you have to write this play, this is a great idea. And Danny said that he tried at one point, but it, it was, he didn't really have it in him, or it was too close to it or whatever, and he basically said, you should write this play. And by the time he said that, Neil was ready to write this, he had been thinking about it for a while. And this was his uh, third play. His first was Come Blow Your Horn, uh, which was early 60s. That was made into a movie with Frank Sinatra. Uh, then he did Barefoot in the Park, uh, which was also a big hit in the early 60s. So this was his follow-up to that. He was already a hot property. Mike Nichols, first play that Mike Nichols directed on Broadway was Barefoot in the Park. And so he teamed up with Neil to do Odd Couple. So this was a big step in Mike Nichols' early career as a director. Uh, as many fans know that not only was Walter Matthau uh, the original Oscar on stage, but none other than Art Carney. Ed Norton was the original Felix Ungar, spelled A-R in the play. And the and, movie. Yeah, right. And, you know, do, I mean, it is funny to think of Art Carney in that role. I, you know, when it, it shows, it shows you how different in the beginning those characters were in Neil Simon's mind than when they evolved in with Mando and Klugman. Can you see Art Carney as Felix? It's tough. I mean, I, the, the, I was, you know, I was reading some stuff that said that it's kind of like the juxtaposition of him and Gleason. Gleason's kind of the slovenly guy right. and Art Carney's more a little fastidious, but 
uh, I don't think of Art Carney in his later years when he kind of got heavier as mm-hmm. it's hard for me to envision him as Felix. Yeah, I think I read that he also he at one point did the role of Oscar later in a summer stock or something. Uh, he's, yeah, he seems like he could write feet go either way. I think what I think when I see the pictures, there's a lot of photographs of him in the, in the role. I think what Art Carney would have brought out is maybe the neurotic element of Felix, like a kind of brooding, you know, uh, those uh, qualities that are in the character in the play. So I can see it happening, but it would be it would be a different a different feeling. Um, so now apparently he left after all. Art Carney, uh, I think, it was implied in some things they read that he was not well, or maybe he had a bit of a substance problem and kind of dropped out of the play after it was very exhausting for him and he dropped out early on only after a month he only played it for like a month or two and then eddie bracken who was a film comedy star especially of the 40s uh took over the role and then when Mathau left the play after about a year on broadway his replacement was a young actor named jack klugman so Klugman got to play off. So Klugman knew the play early on. He had played it on Broadway, and he knew Mathau's performance backwards because he had, had to study Mathau in a way to to do the do the role on Broadway. Um, other uh, members of the cast that are of interest, the two Pigeon Sisters, were the same as the movie and the series. Those two actresses were the only ones to play the Pigeon Sisters, and they played Pigeon in all three of those versions. John Fiedler, who we know from the series in a couple of guest roles, was the original Vinny in both the stage and the film. Uh, Paul Dooley, an actor that TV fans would probably know of. Ted, do you know who Paul Dooley is? Yes, yeah. Uh, he, well, he was in the pilot of Empty Nest oh. before Richard Mulligan took over. He was also on uh, My So-Called Life. He played... Right. Uh, uh, Claire Danes' grandfather. I don't he's know where in, he's been in Kirby Enthusiasm, I think. Oh, okay. Unless he's dead. Unless I'm thinking of someone else. <laughs> um, Paul Dooley was the original Speed. Um, so the play was a big hit. This, it opened in early 1965. Um, and as I said, you know, basically. The, the development of the Paramount film could proceed almost immediately because Paramount had already done this deal. And this was the deal that Gary Marshall claims that Neil Simon resented Paramount for, and that's why he didn't want to give his blessing to the, didn't care about the series. Um, and when it came to the movie, it became, uh, it was obvious that Mathau, who was a who was all, already a somewhat unknown actor, but this, now in the mid 60s he was doing the roles for which he became famous in the movies so it was obvious he was going to do the uh, you know continue the role in the movie and the felix choice seems in retrospect obvious because lemon and matt had already done the fortune cookie together um and uh by billy wilder and so they were a natural team and lemon was seemed a good fit for felix uh at the time and that's how that came together. So I thought, you know, we could discuss the movie. Uh, I, I'm very curious, Ted, because we, we've been referencing the movie, but I wasn't sure how familiar you were with the movie. I think you had seen it a long time ago. I, 
So I'm, yeah. you know, I thought it'd be interesting hearing your thoughts about the film, but we can also use the film to talk about the play itself, since the script is that is basically the script of the play. Well, you, uh, I'll let you focus on that. I will say I saw one version of the, I saw the female version of the play, which at, we'll talk about. We'll talk about. Uh, so I last saw the play. I saw the movie many years ago on probably in the last 10 years, probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I watched it because I'd never seen it. I remember not loving it and going through this process again. I like it less. <laughs> um, should I just go through kind of my thoughts? Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. So I have a, and then I do have a couple of clips to play to compare the lines that are in the, I found three instances and maybe I missed some of movie lines that are duplicated in the series, although they're not duplicated in season one, as far as I know, they're duplicated years later. You know, you would think season yeah. one is really the closest to the movie, right? <laughs> So I, what I liked about the movie, the, the New York City locations were very interesting to watch. I never heard of Bohack grocery stores. And I thought I knew a lot about New York City retail in the 70s and 80s. But when they when he's shopping for to make dinner for Oscar, they, they show Bohack as the name of the store. I thought it was a Gristides. And I looked it up, but that's a real grocery store chain. But they closed in 77, which may be why I never heard of them, because they're a little bit before I was kind of really aware. And I don't think they were near. Yeah, I don't remember either. I think what I, you know, seeing the cafe with the go-go girls is really weird. <laughs> right. It's what's one of the things that's hard getting into that movie to me is the, they, one of the ways they try to open it up, as we say, when you adapt a play to a movie, is they try to make it not, it's for a play that takes place all in one apartment, they don't do a lot of this. They basically stay in the apartment, but they try as many possible to go on another location. And in this case, this is not even, there's no dialogue. There's like a long prologue basically, right? Uh, of Felix, what Felix is doing uh, in between Francis kicking him out and showing up at Oscars. And they kind of explore Felix being suicidal by him wandering the streets, going to a go-go club. Which is the by that location is the, the metropole, which was a real thing that is uh, later became it's now an office building. But do you know? Remember that? Do you recognize that location? No. Metropole? On eighth, I think on Seventh Avenue. It's uh, anyway. So yeah, he goes to the go-go. He's like he's trying to cheer like it's like that's gonna cheer him up seeing the strippers, and then he's like wandering by the river. Looks like he's gonna he's like. He, but I hate, I don't like it because it's just Jack Lemmon looking really depressed. Yeah, so around. ultimately that's why I don't like the film. I, I First of all, as I said last week, and I'm, it's true, I do not enjoy Walter Matthau. I don't enjoy his voice. I don't enjoy his intonations. I don't enjoy the way he delivers anything, which is the opposite, which is why I like the show so much is because I love the way Klugman, this is just a personal preference. Yeah. I find his, 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 that his very famous style and voice not entertaining to me. It's actually irritating. What? How can you not like Walter Matthau? Yeah, I don't enjoy his performances on uh, he uh, in in taking a film one two three because he's playing a different character. Yes. He's playing a cop. I I I like him. Just don't enjoy him here. And the fact that this is about a suicidal man mm -hmm. and really not about messy and and neat people. There's no. I laughed four times. I'll tell you the four times I laughed in a bit. Um. And I, I found it just uncomfortable and upsetting to watch and a little unbelievable. And I just, this is like a drama to me. This is not, yeah. I, in my head, Odd Couple is filled with laughs and fun and 
and and there's this i know suicide makes its way into the notion of the show because it's still the basis of it but not this is just i forgot how much this is about yeah. him being suicidal and it that it, it makes such a difference because in the play you don't see felix until he come, walks in the door and so you're hearing from all this stuff off the front the phone call of francis off stage you're hearing about what happened and they just kind of you know are worried he's going to do something but really when felix comes in it turns out that he's not gonna kill himself well he does go to the hotel ask for a higher floor and i think well, really that's in the movie it. i'm sorry in the movie oh right? you're talking about the play yes i see I'm saying, i see i think the movie makes such a bad choice oh oh, oh. because in the play it's possible to not take the serious the suicide that seriously but the movie spends 10 minutes like really oh, showing you so in the play it's more the poker players worrying about it and never felix actual okay well then that they keep I, running around the apartment thinking i see yeah okay well that would definitely make it a little funnier uh, and then the first thing we see is four ugly men sweating playing poker which i find really <laughs> i just made me and they're uncomfortable and this is seedy new york yeah. and i i just found the whole thing was like just kind of had this glean of dirt and grime because oscars and then the, and then um, and so we should talk about, so John Fiedler's back in the play, in the movie, yeah. you have Herb Edelman as Murray, and where do you think most people know Herb Edelman from? There's I two, <laughs> I can't think of one thing. He's a Golden Girls, he's Blanche's oh. ex-husband. He's also on St. Elsewhere. I think that's where oh. people may know him. Yeah. Um, and then you have help me here i didn't write this down I you have, the other actors, yeah. uh uh oh now i feel like we have to look up how do i not how do i not have this handy all right i'm, I'm gonna we're out uh, of practice david shiner and larry haynes were the other ones who played speed and roy um david shiner is just a recognizable character actor if you watch a lot of tv and larry haynes i didn't really know um and they're just they're also just i mean john fiedler has one of the funny things so the one funny the first thing i laughed at was when they go to open the door for Felix and they tell, you know, they're supposed to play it cool. And he opens the door, says hello, and walks away very quickly and the door closes on Felix. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I, that's the first time I laughed. I was like 20 minutes in. Uh, of course, Oscar here has a son, which also is the whole impetus of the second movie, which <sighs> never happens in the show. Um, here, Felix writes, I did not remember this, he writes TV news copy. Yes. That's his, right, he's not a photographer in this. Um, Does he do that in the play too? Yes, that is from the play. Uh, it's such a weird such thing. A weird choice, yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe, I don't know, I, maybe if it was flipped and he was a TV news writer in the TV show and a photographer here, I'd say the photographer's weird because I'm just so used mm -hmm. to him being a photographer. Well, it just shows, you know, one of the things, uh, I, I do want to pause on this topic because I'm glad you brought it up. It's um, one of the many ways that the TV series improves on um, the original is their jobs really don't matter in the play oh uh, yeah in right. the movie they do add the one they add that one scene of him at the baseball game the famous mm -hmm. roberto clemente not roberto clemente <laughs> different uh scene and just to show him at work but otherwise the fact that he's a sports writer it never is well it's barely mentioned uh it just kind of fits that he has this, you know, because he wears a baseball cap all the time. And the only time we can learn that he writes the news is with the pigeons to see they ask it when they're on their date, they ask him what he does. 
and they make a funny it's a funny joke like where do you get your ideas yeah that's that was a funny line yes do do you like the movie before i go on um you want to save that for after i'd rather sum up yeah i i I, oh you go next okay all right uh there's nothing there's no commentary about oscar being there's no felix doesn't talk about oscar being messy at all until and felix's neatness is addressed 40 minutes later into the film i mean they they do talk about oscar's messiness but you know if you if you love the tv show you expect jokes about messiness in the movie not that you're not that that's fair but you don't get that oscar says he's highly paid by the way which we never get out of oscar in the tv show right he says i'm a highly paid one of the most highly paid sports writers so at least that which you know we were debating we were talking about how they can afford this apartment So they address that. Oscar says the apartment has eight rooms. Yeah, this is that. the origin of that. Yeah. yeah. Felix describes Speaking himself, of the eight rooms in the apartment, yeah. I mean, were you struck by how much it resembles the season, the season one? No, I knew that. Yeah. That didn't strike me. I remember that from watching the movie. And I knew that from, from, the, from the season one. I knew that it was the same yeah. set, essentially. I mean, it almost felt like they, I guess they struck the movie set and rebuilt it, right? Well, the movie was... Released in 68, um, was filmed, I guess, somewhere late 67, early 68. And the show went into production in the summer of 1970. So, and Paramount knew they were going to do something. Oh, they maybe, they, do a maybe they didn't strike it because they knew it because of that, that timing. Uh, Felix describes himself as a pest. So that's a consistent. Oscar here lives at Riverside Drive in 85th Street. Right. In yes. a building that's yet still, another address. Yes, the Dorchester Arms, which still exists. I found an apartment listed oh. there for two million dollars. I looked oh. it up. Here, Felix plays pool. Seems to like it, hmm. as opposed to the series. <laughs> uh, now, the Pigeon Sisters. I really never liked them in my memory. I actually found them surprisingly charming watching yeah. that one scene here. Um, basically, one scene. Right. Um, so I enjoyed that more. Uh, we, the Felix brother living in Buffalo, I was surprised that that was consistent, yeah. even though he's a doctor yeah. in this movie, in the movie right. or the play. I'm going to call it the movie. Yeah. Uh, Felix doesn't seem to mind smoking very much hmm. in the movie. Like, Sh- it shows smoking. you. Well, he does have an air purifier, right? Doesn't he? Or that I'm thinking of the later plays. Um, in the movie, do they have the joke about the air freshener? The, you mean well, the, air freshener, but he has a uh, a kind of humidifier on. I don't remember that. Okay, that's a later thing. Never mind. I, that's why we're going to talk about the different re- re- revisions of the play. Okay. Um, wait, so the scene where this this is this is weird. Uh, not weird. This bugged me. So the the pigeon sisters are sitting there talking to Felix. He does. They do the joke about where do you get your ideas. Yeah. It must be a 10 minute scene. Where is Oscar? He's making drinks for 10 <laughs> minutes. Right, right. It is. See, that's where the staginess of the play comes in, right? It's a device to get him off stage. I get it. But there has to be some reality to why a character is off stage. But it's, it's one of the problems I think it has um, being a movie, the way this movie is made. Uh, I, I, I think other than the few attempts they make to get out of the apartment, it really is a filmed play. But in the play, he's still off stage for 10 minutes. I know, but I guess what I'm saying is in the the theater, I find you don't notice that as much or you're not as aware of how the passage of time um, because, first of all, the scene is so great uh, with the Pigeon Sisters. 
and you kind of buy it as a theatrical, it's a theatrical conceit. He's void, you know, you hear him off stage. He Not for those uh, 10 minutes. You, oh, I see. You're singing Maybe the... Not in the yeah, I think in the play he butts his head in or something. You oh, yeah, he little, doesn't do that movie, no. It's just a little back and forth. Uh, I notice in the later rewrites, Neil, he actually, it's almost like Neil Simon heard your criticism. Because maybe I'm, I'm thinking he gives Oscar a few more offstage things to do during that scene. I if, see. As if someone said, you know, this is a bit unbelievable. But it's especially glaring in the movie that they can't have a, a cutaway to what Oscar's doing in the kitchen. Right. That is where this is really evident. So the argument scene with the food, which is, you know has the famous air freshener, the linguine. yeah, oh, the, which oh the air freshener scene, right? Yeah, well the, the air scene. freshener scene then becomes the linguine scene, right? Right. Yes. Uh, and actually, one of the comparisons we have combines the both the air freshener scene and and a piece of dialogue. Um, that scene was more cruel to me than funny. Yeah. I just yeah. I didn't enjoy it at all. Um, now, so the, now it's garbage. Yeah, it's really it's not funny. It's, it's, the other three times I laughed was when Felix says goodnight, Francis, to Oscar. Uh -huh. Felix calls Francis for her meatloaf recipe. I chuckled. I didn't laugh. Yes. And the, the the other and the other pigeon sisters was when Felix just says it. They say it may rain Friday. That's just like the next thing to say. That's, the, that's it. <laughs> not because it's a joke, but because it's just in the context. Yeah. Yes, yeah, the context. So I, I just, I watched the movie and it was like, de more depressed than anything. Right. And now, so I read. Maybe you're gonna talk. I'll just. The reason I was trying to figure out why did they change Francis to Gloria, and in the Bob Lassac book, it says that ABC didn't want him to have a wife with a male-sounding name to imply that. He could right. be gay. Francis was too and, and androgynous a name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So yes, should, Francis ES, not IS. Should I play the? No, no, no. Let's. I, now I want to. Uh, Wait. What do you think I'm about to respond? I want to. Before I play, play any clips. Okay. Fine. I go ahead. Just yes. Respond to some of your stuff, uh, which I agree with a lot of. Um, I think one thing that adds to that depressing feeling, and as you say, it's like watching a drama is it's like watching season one without a laugh without the laugh track right it's like yes. you don't, or, would you but that you want that you well, want I, that well i'm curious I, I said it's an experiment i would be curious but um because i do think season one is less jokey and more you know way dramatic um it's also different than you would see it in the theater in the theater with an audience with the lat, you get the the living laugh track of the audience, and that yes. drives. And when I've seen the play in performance, that is a big, that drives it. That's really what gives it life. And so, by having no laughter, it kind of sucks a lot out of it. There, are, it, as many filmed plays, it kind of the jokes can kind of lay there because, like, the actors are waiting for the laugh, you know, especially if they've done the play. Um, uh, one, you know, Gene Sachs directed the movie, and he was a, one of Simon's collaborators a lot. He directed a lot of the, the later plays, the famous later plays like Brighton Beach Memoirs. And he was a great theater director, but um, he, he wasn't really a natural film director. And it's like they're just doing the play in, in front of the camera. Surprisingly, if you read the original coverage, the movie's a big hit, and the original reviews of the movie were said this is said it was hilarious. So, so. And watching it, but maybe watching it in a movie theater, that's the other, watching it in a movie theater with other audience, then you get that kind of theater, get the laughter. Also, we address this in the Paramount 
series, Paramount Plus series, The Offer, about The Godfather, oh, right. oh. Robert Evans talks about how big a hit God Couple yeah. was. Yeah, yeah we have to say, like, despite everything we're saying, like, the movie was... Yeah, I acknowledge that this is... This is my thoughts. Clearly, the yeah. public of the time loved both of these things. Well, I do think the movie doesn't hold up very well. I think in its moment, seeing it in a movie theater with an audience, you would get some of the feel of the play. Um, I think uh, Matthau's performance is definitely the meanest Oscar Madison you're going to see. Um, but I, there's a lot, I, I find a lot of his deliveries are really funny. Uh, he, and compelling. He's kind of compelling to watch for me. Um, but Lemon, you know, Lemon is a great actor, but I just, you know, again, I, here's where my bias for the show is that Lemon just plays a neurotic, a kind of depressed neurotic, and he doesn't have any of the brilliance that Tony Randall gives to Felix. And I, and I neglected to mention anything about Jack Lemon, because of Strack. And I, I agree that, you know, he's a great actor, obviously, but I agree with what you just said. There's, it's, there's no, there's no sparkle of. Right. I, I guess I find Tony Randall a more entertaining performer than Jack Lemmon. Yeah. Well, especially in that, let's say, in that role. Um, I mean, right, Lemmon, in that, role. that scene is the Pigeon Sister scene where he gets to be the kind of nebbishy uh, guy, and that works very well. Um, the poker players. I was interested in what you said about the poker players. Um, the wow, did the TV series get that better, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like Murray, uh, Herb Edelman is great, but there's nothing really that, I mean, Murray, he, he, he stands out as like the one with a personality, at least in, in, the, in, the, in the original, uh, because he's like kind of gullible or kind of like a little not bright, not in the same way that Al Malinara does, but Murray's always kind of a step behind or something like figuring things out in, this, in the original. But he no, think about what Al Malinar bring, brought to the character later, and uh, and then I just you miss you want Gary Wahlberg as Speed, right? <laughs> I mean, but he, he Speed the the Speed is kind of in the lead the ringleader of the poker game, and it's supposed to be the most like in that way he's consistent. But the actor playing Speed in the movie doesn't really get to do much. It's even in the writing. So, but you I do. This is one of the big differences between season one of the series and the rest of the series is how, and the same with the Pigeon Sisters, right? It's like once they began the series, same set, same apartment, same characters. Like it was just assumed because the poker players, especially in the play on stage, are like the, the only other characters. They're the only audience for these, for Oscar and Felix. They're, they keep coming back and they're like a Greek chorus in some way, you know? They're a big part of the structure of the play. And, uh, and you could see how the producers and everyone involved just thought, well, we naturally, you can't do the archival at the poker players. And you can't do the archival at the Pigeon Sisters. The Pigeon Sisters scene was, um, one of, was definitely uh, a highlight of the show, when the original play, when people talk about it. In fact, here's a story that uh, when they were doing tryouts of the play, in Boston or wherever, um, yeah, it was Boston, that uh, Simon didn't know how to, he kept rewriting the third act, didn't know quite what to do once Oscar kicks Felix out. They didn't, they were, they were, there are different endings, and we talked about how you can go now to Library of Congress, I think, and look up his drafts, but it was actually a critic in Boston, uh, 
Elliot Norton was the critic of the Boston. Norton. Movie. Norton, right. <laughs> he, um, in the days when critics and artists kind of like could kind of talk informally and were not like strictly governed by harsh uh, ethics rules of journalism, uh, uh, he, he, he talked with uh, Simon and Nichols and said how much he loved the play, but the, he acknowledged it seemed like they were still struggling with the ending. And he's the one who said, well, why don't you bring back, the, bring back those Pigeon Sisters? They were hilarious. And, and Neil Simon gives him credit for suggesting that, that that's where Felix should end up and it's an excuse to bring them back on stage They were because they were an audience favorite. Um, so you see in season one of the series that they are so devoted to those supporting characters. And I think one of the great things that happens in season two is they finally like liberate themselves of it. No, we don't need the Pigeon Sisters. And we don't need Roy. <laughs> it's like, we don't need all those poker players. Roy is boring. Let's just keep the other three. And then slowly, it's just Murray. And then there's really very little poker going on in the series after season, after season, by season three. There's very little, very few episodes that have a poker game. Or even when there is, it's like Oscar plays poker with other people. Yeah. Remember? Yes, yes. Of course. So, um, so I, I think that's a really smart thing that the series did was just liberate itself from all those trappings of the play as it got in past the first season. Now, who played Myrna in the movie in the play? <laughs> right. No Myrna. As I said, the jobs, the, their jobs don't matter. Yeah. And it's thank God he did make Oscar a sports writer in the play because that turned out to be really great for the series, that you could have the athletes and Howard Cosell and the whole world of sports be part of that that worked out so well uh but they were smart not to keep the news writing thing gave felix something much more uh fun to do my you know my theory is that about the writing the news it's sort of like a reason for why they know each other like they both work in journalism oh know? yeah they never explain that right i didn't think they, about yeah, that. there's no origin story of how they met no right Simon doesn't give you any clues about that but I feel like when he had to come up with some job for, for them to do, he put them, you know, once he decided Oscar was a sports writer, he feel like should be some other aspect of the news business movie. Um, so, but basically, yeah, I, I, I think the movie is, a, is a sometimes, you have to really be a fan, I think, to, um, to sit through it. I don't know. It'd be interesting to watch it with someone who had no idea of the odd couple and seeing it for the first time. All right, so it sounds like we're both not fans of the movie. No, it's not something I would rather watch the, an episode of the series than watch the movie. All right, well, yeah. So why don't we play the clips? We'll briefly talk about uh, Odd Couple Two, and then you want to talk a little bit right. about the play right. and where the play evolved to. Is that right? What? Right. Okay. Yeah, the play right. went through further evolution. So here are uh, three clips uh, from where the there are lines that originate in the movie that are then used in the in the series. Here's number one. Well, I'm cleaning it. Leave that alone. I'm gonna... You leave that alone. You touch one strand of that linguine and I'm gonna punch you right here. Oh, you better put this on. Hey, Oscar, come on. Now listen, why don't you just take a tranquilizer? Go to your room. Yeah, go to your room. Yeah, let's just all settle down, huh? I'm warning you, Felix. You want to live through this night? You better keep this door locked and lock your windows, too. 
What have you got here? Hors d'oeuvres. I made it myself. That's not frozen. Liverwurst on potato chips is hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, please. J.P. Morgan's going to be right in this room in a few minutes. Just show her the song. That's no, all. she's going to be here because I made a social date with her. I don't want the words music records mentioned. In fact, I don't even want you here. Can I meet the company at least? No, you can't. Please. No. Please. Go to your room. <laughs> oh, boy, what a jip. Exactly a dummy, you know. It's one of the world's best kept secrets. <laughs> I think we should talk about this, Oscar. Don't you? After all, we've learned to talk to the Russians, we've learned to talk to the Chinese. Can't we talk to each other? You're going to bowl in the finals? No. Then go talk to the Chinese. <laughs> I told you why I quit your stupid bowling team. It's a matter of principle. I do it again. My principles mean a lot to me. Yeah? Well, look at this. <laughs> That's where your principles. You understand that? <laughs> Come in. Boy, are you crude. Yeah. El crudo. La creme de la crude. Oh. You think that's crude? I'm going to show you. You want to see crude? Ah, that's crude. That doesn't bother me. That's no skin on me. There we go. Take this. I'm going to my room. So what's interesting about that is that all the four the start of that was the famous taking the air freshener and spraying it in the food scene, which is in the movie. Right. And the play and, yeah. and the play and does lead to the go to your room right. dialogue that we played. Of course, here it's about bowling. <laughs> and it's the most angry Oscar ever gets at Felix is over bowling. And in the movie, of course, it's it's just the first time they're actually living together. And, oh, no, it's about the fact the, that he ruined the date. with the He ruined the date. Right. So actually, it is something I didn't. You're right. It's something similarly kind of benign that causes them to have this big fight. And in the movie, in the show, it's it's bowling. Um, That's well done. Ted. I, it's funny that you thought I, there are a bunch that we're, I'm sure we're not mentioning but uh, i wouldn't have even thought of the go to your room oh uh, as soon as i saw that i was like i've yeah, heard that remembered twice. all the times in the series right all right here's two more this one's obvious felix will you leave yourself alone don't tank us i know can't help it i drive everybody crazy marriage counselor once kicked me out of his office wrote my chart lunatic <laughs> When you went to a marriage counselor, what happened? He kicked me out of his office. And? He wrote on my chart, lunatic. 
All right. They do the they do that joke one more time. Oh, in, in the show, Felix remarries at the end. I'm pretty sure. Oh, that scene where, I, oh, we just watched that. I completely didn't remember that one. I, what sure. scene? The scene where he in Felix's bedroom, where he keeps threatening to jump off the ledge. It's very reminiscent. Of oh, that. okay. All right, <clears throat> I missed that one then. All right, I think this one. There's only one version. Well, this is ever so nice, isn't it, Graham? Yes, yes, it is, yes. And it's so much neater than our flat. Mm -hmm. Do you have help? Yes, I have a man who comes in every night. Oh, oh. well, aren't you the lucky one? <laughs> oh, this is really nice. Mildred! Tiger! Oh, Mildred! <laughs> You're still the cutest. Oh, so are you. Oh, I want you to meet my roommate, Oscar Madison. Oh, hello. hello. Nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you. I was one of the best dressed in my high school. <laughs> oh, sit down, Mildred. We've got champagne. Oh, I love your place. Uh, How do you keep it so clean? I have a man who comes in every night. <laughs> Excuse me a minute, please. Well, that's the. So those are the lines I found that were similar yes uh that's a great one but um, they're all late like manica that the last that's from season five right so you know why there's a reason for that that um that klugman and randall knew the play so well they knew it backwards because not only had they performed it at various times before the series but once they started doing the series they actually made a point of doing the play on the road in the off season oh right we talked about that yeah as a way to stay fit as a way to market the show as a way to capitalize on whatever and what's great uh, from reading in the lasak book it seems like you know uh, some of the actors went along with the tour like gary Wahlberg and uh vinnie what's his name um yeah I... went on the tour sometimes playing those roles too which would have been a real treat for the audience um and some of the writers on the series uh, in interviews talk about how Klugman and Randall could easily go into lines from the play at the drop of a hat and like they'd be reading a script they would do being on a table read of the of the episode and they would say this sounds just like the line in the play and then they would start going into the play Larry and, Gelman Larry Gelman sorry yes the late the late Larry Gelman um so you get the feeling that like they would some they must have like kept bringing up those lines this would be a good time to use that joke or it'd be a good time to go do that bit um like the aerosol bit uh the spray can bit um air pressure whatever i think they were probably because they knew to play better than anyone on the show yeah they knew it backwards so i think that's why that happened all right, so that's all I have. the The second movie is tough to watch. They're so okay. they're well, so old. Let's begin by saying like, it's just so weird. This movie even exists, right? Yeah, because, it's ninety eight. Uh, it's nineteen ninety. It's thirty years after the movie, uh, the original movie. And Simon, of course, as uh, as we'll talk about next, you know, Simon, like. I don't know. I have some fear ideas about like I think he Simon did want to capitalize on the success of the TV show, or someone did. Like it was the TV show that kept that play, kept the title alive, right? And uh, and so the female odd couple he wrote in eight, 1985, 
I think was uh, an effort to cash in on that. And then this thing comes up in 1998. Neil Simon is basically, it's one of the last things Neil Simon did. Um, I, it seems obvious that it is all, it's also one of the last things that Lemon and Matthau did. And it's after Grumpy Old Men, the Grumpy Old Men movie. Yeah. And it seems, if anything, it's much more of a sequel to Grumpy Old Men, yeah. Grumpier Old Men. Which I'm not this, a fan of. No. And then this terror, it's even worse, is Out to Sea. Have you ever seen that? No. I know of it. I've not, yeah. I know. I would never see that. And this is the last of those films that they did together at the end of their lives. Um, so it really is sort of cashing in on that as a movie, because who the hell would care about, I mean, among the younger movie audience, who would care about an odd couple movie? And it just bears even, it's, I mean, it's hard to believe Neil Simon wrote this because it bears no resemblance. If you change the names of the characters, you could, it would make no difference. Um, in fact, all you have to do is if you change the name of the character and have, and Felix does do the, not the honking, but the, oh. the, the muffin, right. the Jack Lemmon version. But if you took out those bits, there's like no uh, relation to the world of the original uh, play. The I didn't talk about that when I talked about the movie. The that noise that he makes in the diner, it's just unpleasant. It's like a Tourette's person. Yeah. Not that I'm putting down Tourette's people, but it, it sounds more like he's got a serious it's, problem rather than a kind of a funny. It's thing. no honk. It's no honk. No. So I I don't I do not enjoy Jack Lemmon's interpretation of that. Um. So the movie is just. Oh, I'll just start by like the the first thing that's like terribly wrong about the movie. And it's, it's such a deliberate choice to not be in New York, right? The second movie, yeah. It's, it's like, let's, okay, let's just take Felix and Oscar 30 years later as old man and just take them, make them fish out. It's a fish out of water joke. It's a one, one joke movie that they're fish out of water out in the wild west, wherever they are. And it has no, everything we, a lot of people fans love about the archival, a lot of it being the New York feeling is just thrown out. So that's the first mistake. <laughs> Why would Neil Simon want to write that? I mean, you know, I, 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 he's a, he obviously was a rich, successful man, but um, he's someone who couldn't stop, like, like Woody Allen. Like, he's just, like, compulsive, has to write, has to be writing until the end. And, he, you know, it wasn't, he finally got too ill uh, around 2000, 2005. He did develop Alzheimer's toward the end. He, did, he, you know, he died only a few years ago, but he was yeah. just... He couldn't write anymore after 2005 or so. And uh, so you could see him just kind of desperately trying to write. And obviously, some producer, Paramount, whoever, said, why not do always doing a reboot, right? It's always like a, it's one of the most successful titles in their catalog. So someone thought it was a good idea just to do something called Odd Couple 2. And I think Math on Women wanted to do it, yeah. from what I've read. Mm -hmm. They wanted to work together one more time. Right. right. Yeah, it's painful to watch. I, I, it's, I'm, I could only skim it. Um, it's tough. Yeah, I, you know what, Ted? I stayed up very late last night watching it so that you didn't have to. You mean you watched it from beginning? I to watched end it with, from beginning to end, oh, with okay. many breaks. But, but I did. Uh, I, on Pluto. Oh yeah, they had the breaks. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, there's really not much to say about it. I, I couldn't. It's just, it's not. It should. I, it, should it should not be, have been made. It should not have been. Yeah. But oddly enough, if you if you're at all if for some reason curious more about this movie, Simon even published when it came out. They published a two 
a double edition of the screenplays for both the original Odd Couple movie, which I've never done a line by line comparison. But if you ever, if anyone else is interested in this, you you can buy that used uh, out of print book where he has the script of the 1960, the screenplay of the 1968 Odd Couple, and the screenplay of Odd Couple Two, which no one, I mean, reading it would even be worse because. There's like nothing there on the page. It's just, I was surprised how much of the movie is like car crashes and oh. uh, like, what the hell? Like what you, you don't need a, an odd couple movie to have like high, high, high speed uh, freeway chases. No, you know? like, what the hell? I don't know. Let's move on. I, not worth talking about. <laughs> and also you space have Francis, they have actresses playing Francis and Blanche. Yeah. But they are on for like two minutes. And Gene so you, Smart is trying to romance someone. Uh, yeah, they have a and Christine Bransky oh. are right, the biker chicks who they hook oh, up with. I didn't. I skipped that scene. I did not see that. <laughs> it, I saw Gene Smart in there for a second. I saw her in the credits, but I didn't watch that scene. It's uh, I I don't know. If you're, I, I'm fascinated by how awful it is. Um, I did see it uh whenever short. I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it shortly after it came out out of curiosity and. I, it was obvious then, and it got it, no one. I'd be curious if anyone out there in our couple fan fandom wants to defend that movie. That would be I looked up the box office was like eighteen million, which was right. There was no audience for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so I got, we really. Why do I? I feel like I want to keep talking about how bad. Well, do that on your other odd couple podcast. Time, right? Yeah, yes, on your right. own podcast. Oh yeah. Oh my God, we're, we're going on a long time. You well, can do an odd couple two podcast and go scene by scene. Wow, that. I think, you know, that deserves to be taken apart, right, on a <laughs> micro level. I won't listen to that <laughs> podcast. Uh, terrible. All right, what's those plays? What's, what's... Yeah, so I'm kind of interested in how, I mean, this is the last, not the last time. It's not the last time Simon revisited the play. Like, so it's interesting how he, his career, literally the, high, the meat of his career was 1960 to 1990 uh and kind of the 70s were really his era he wrote so many plays and wrote a lot of successful film screenplays um some successful screenplays and some not and then in the 80s he had this his, his theater career uh was was boosted he wrote his first serious plays that were successful brighton beach memoirs is a comedy but that whole he wrote a whole trilogy an autobiographical trilogy uh about his alter ego Eugene Jerome, and uh, which was Bright Beach Memoirs, Biloxi Blues, and Broadway Brown. I think I saw Biloxi Blues on Broadway. I saw. I did too. Yeah. Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Yeah, Matthew Broderick was the original Eugene uh, in Bright Beach Memoirs, and uh, made you know uh, that role his own. Funny enough, the son in Odd Couple. One more thing about Odd Couple too. Jonathan, Jonathan Silver, Silver, Silverman. Yeah. Brucey. Yeah. Grown up Brucey. It was the movie version. Uh, it was it was starred in the movie of Brighton Beach Memoirs as the Neil Simon. Oh, and yeah. I'm going to the one the one thing that that I watching the second movie, which I now I'm going back to that just the, at least had something was the the woman who plays Felix's daughter, who is not yeah. Mer, uh, not um, not Edna, not Edna. It's I can't remember the name. <laughs> Lisa Waltz, and one of my favorite shows of all time, which I mentioned earlier, is My So-Called Life. And she plays Hallie Lowenthal, oh. who's a character, if you are a My So-Called Life fan, 
who has a, a pretty sizable role towards the end of that series, which only had one season. So I'm a big Lisa Waltz fan because of her, of her role on my so-called life. It's, it's, and so it's a shame that she's all, uh, like so many of the important supporting characters, they do nothing with her in that movie. Um, you know, we should also, sorry, one more thing about the Odd Couple too. The whole premise of Bruce Madison, also your son, marrying Felix's daughter. I know that it must seem irresistible to Neil Simon, but just something icky about that. <laughs> it feels like incest. Um, and unnecessary, really. It's like a reason for them to get together, right? Uh, because I, the one thing I was listening to in that movie was just like, how does Neil Simon, like, what's the trajectory of those characters in Neil Simon's mind? Because do they live together again? Like in the play, he kicks them out. Like they only live together for three weeks. There's no, I was kept looking for it. Unlike the series, is there a hint that, he, that they did live together for long? But apparently in Odd Couple 2, they make it like they, it hasn't been 30 years since they last spoke, but it's been like 15 years. So they had a future relationship, future friendship, but it's all, I think he didn't give it much thought. Anyway. Um, so what, so and, and it's a contrast to the well, the other bad reunion. <laughs> yeah, that we're going to say for which yeah. also is about a wedding, but at least they had Edna marrying someone else. Yeah, not uh, Brucey. Okay, so oh yeah, so Neil Simon is uh, going along his career, and uh, so and in 1985 he writes this female version of the play, which is also an update. So it's not just changing the gender but it's uh trying to set it in the 1980s and there's a lot of 1980s specific jokes um now you ted you say you remember seeing this on broadway i did see it on broadway loved it loved it yeah. uh, and i think i think also i told you that sally struthers was on the late great uh-huh Gilbert godfrey podcast okay. and Does said she talk that, about it? well she said that uh rena moreno was horrible <laughs> <laughs> I told you that she said she wouldn't say her name, but it was clearly wow. obvious that she was a terrible person wow. to her. But the play was fantastic. I can still remember a moment in the play where the two there's so instead of the pigeon sisters, yes, there's there's right there's two, <laughs> two brothers Spaniards, right? The and Spanish they say brothers. something, and somebody says something, and then I think uh, Sally's brothers played Felix. Felix, like several minutes later, she refers back to what one of the brothers says. And Rena Moreno says, do you want to go back a moment in the conversation? <laughs> Which, does, like, you're laughing at it, but I just remember that line or some version of that. And I was, no. I couldn't control my life. It's like when I saw uh, there's something in the Fuchsia Oz Fedrick. <laughs> yes. uh, or I remember laughing as hard as that as I did at some of the, the classic odd couple moments. There's much trouble in the fuselage fairy. So I, um, yes, I saw that. Did you? I did not see that. No, I wish I did. Uh, because especially the, you know, who played the Spanish brothers. No. Um, Tony Shalhoub. Oh, wow. And, and a lesser known, but great comedian, Louis Stadlin. Uh, play, they were, and so this was one of Tony Shalhoub's first Broadway roles, and I can just picture him so hilarious as like the quieter brother. Um, and the moment that you said you're mentioning about that scene actually is an interesting case of how you, what adjust, 
tweaks he made to the scene. Because I think the moment you're saying is the same moment in the movie you were mentioning about the, they say it's going to rain Friday. Oh. Uh, which is like, it is kind of like he's, the conversation has moved on and he kind of is so nervous. He like is, it's like a non sequitur. And, but in this case, he has Oscar, or as she's known now, Olive, the Rita Moreno character, say, uh, yeah, you want to you want to go back in the conversation now? Yeah, or... that was it. Yeah, that was <laughs> and such that, a great line. There's no equivalent of that in the original play. So, uh, so what I, what surprised me when I read, I read the female uh, couple for the first time this week, and I expected it to be just basically a line by line paraphrase uh, of the play. Why why not? You're Neil Simon. It's a successful play. Why don't you know? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I did remember reading about the play, and I knew that instead of poker, do you remember? Instead of poker, the girl, the, the, the women, they're all women now, the poker players. They don't play poker. Bridge? They do something very 1980s. Oh, that's not cards. Trivial Pursuit. Oh, okay. <laughs> they get together for Trivial Pursuit. Uh, and that's how it starts. And so right from the beginning, you can see Neil Simon, like, is taking this as a challenge like he's clearly bored just doing the same play so a lot of the dialogue is kind of re-paraphrase it's like if you went page by page you would see the same things happening but he's really there's different dialogue in a lot of cases he's also taking advantage of the night of it now not being 1965 they're much more frank sexually there's more dirty jokes uh, the, the the you feel the now it's it's olive who's the horny one but she, you know, I would have, I imagine Rita Moreno would have been great, like playing that up, like, you know, that she wants to be with these men. And uh, I also imagine Sally Struthers would be a good Felix. She was, uh, yeah, they were great. So um, it, is, it is interesting to read for that. And then, of course, right. So the, now the, the, the new Pigeon Sisters, I forget what their name is, but uh, it's Manolo and Jesus are their first names. Um, that be, I, I remember at the time that I remember my father saw it and he that was all he was talking about that scene. And I think what's interesting is the Pigeon Sisters scene was the highlight of the play for a lot of audiences and critics. And this scene was the highlight of this play. And it just something about the scene itself is just like a surefire thing, no matter who's playing it. I knew this. Um, and what he does with the Spanish, no, it's obvious that I think he probably wanted to make them. Latino or Latino American, but he makes them from Spain, I think, to kind of avoid any racial, you know, any uh, racist accusations or stereotypes. So he makes them very proud Spaniard, just like the Pigeon Sisters are from England, right? Europe. But the difference now is there's a language barrier. So, so much of the humor now, he rewrites the jokes of the scene to be about the, mis the it's just classic. Uh, malapropisms and, and misunderstanding, like not being able to speak the same language as the other people and misunderstandings of language. So they keep saying like, uh, uh, they, they call Florence Flo is her nickname. And Olive says like, oh, Flo, and say, oh, what is Flo, what's flowing? They said, no, that's short for Florence. Florence is, uh, Flo is short for Florence. She is short, she is short. <laughs> uh, things like that, right? Yeah. Which are funnier than they deserve to be right. the way that they come out and I imagine if they're acted right. So it is worth a read if you're a fan of, uh, of odd couple stuff just because it's an interesting spin on it. 
I think whether it works, it, you know, it's some things work, some aspects of it work better than others, uh, being women. Um, Murray is still a cop with under another name, a female cop. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it goes, I go back and forth on that. Um, but it's funny that you said you enjoyed it so much, Ted, because what you were seeing there is the play, essentially. So I think you saw, like, in a way, a much better version of the play than the movie is. By the way, yeah, I, I may have enjoyed the original play because of the things we've mentioned, the audience and the, the fact that it's a play, not a movie, and just a movie I don't like. Yeah. Obviously, the set, I assume, in the, in the play is very different than the set in the movie. Not this, well, okay, so it's on stage, but it's the same. There are certain principles that every production of The Odd Couple have, have, have copied from the original set, which is the the door on the raised platform, the steps, right? Has but it's part of every version of of the play. But does the living room have that same, and then the big long hallway and the kitchen? Yes, the long hallway is important to the play because they do chase Felix down. I see. Uh, okay. And they need the other rooms and all that. And the kitchen needs to have the swinging door that is on that's visible. Uh, has the you need the table with the for the poker players. You need yeah. It's like certain things are dictated by the play that make it very. You could do the play. The you could do the play on the TV uh, three camera set, but it probably fits more naturally into the season one set. Um, I assume the play is still being done across the country. The play is done probably every day somewhere in the world. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. It was certainly his most successful play. It, 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 you know, certainly financially. Um, and just think of all the licensing and all that, you know, although he didn't you know, unfortunately get a lot of that from Paramount, but, and so speaking of the, yeah, the revivals, um, there was a, the last Broadway revival in 2006, I think was with Matthew Broderick. And, 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 and Nathan, Nathan Lane. Lane, yeah. Now this was an, a kind of an obvious uh, catching in on the producers. Yes. Which was from 2000, 2001. And, uh, but Matthew Broderick, of course, had this long history, Neil Simon, who he played, you know, so they reunited for him to finally play Felix after he played uh, the, you know, the Eugene Morris Jerome character in Brighton Beach trilogy. Um, now, I did not see that, unfortunately. I wish I did. I don't know why I was going to I did not either. And I don't know why I didn't. It got, I, I think I was discouraged from seeing it because it got very tepid reviews. But there is, someone has posted it on you, someone very illegally, <laughs> filmed it from the balcony it is a not very high quality video they have and it's posted in like 13 different clips it's it's but i did watch i sat down and over maybe a couple of nights watched it and i thought it was really good i thought it was so i'm saying if you're interested i don't know if it's still up there but it was um i think you know broderick is hysterical as felix it may be the best Felix in the play that I've ever seen. And Nathan Lane does is kind of doing Matthau's person delivery, but because Nathan Lane is just more likable as a person, it seems comes across as a likable person, it's a it's a little you know less harsh. And I think he finds a good uh, medium. I it found is, a the New York Times review. You want me to read it? Well, not the whole thing, but no, the part that may be relevant. Yes. Yeah. Uh, their performances are framed in quotation marks. Mr. Lane is doing macho and slovenly. Mr. Broderick is doing repressed and anal retentive. That's different from being slovenly or anal retentive. And the gap between doing and being 
fatally exposes the cogs and gears of Mr. Simon's impeccably assembled comic clockwork. Mr. Lane tries with admirable, if largely unavailing, diligence to overcome this disconnect, especially in the first act when the newly separated and suicidal Felix arrives late. Mr. Lane trots out a masterly array of carefully careless bits of business. His Oscar can't pour a drink without the liquor dancing right over the glass's edge or a bag of potato chips without sending them to flight. But Mr. Lane is nature, by nature a Broadway baby, and his line readings are sometimes frilled with self-paradingly show-busy flourishes and intonations. And while he wears his slob's costume, he turns into a well-groomed clothes horse despite himself. It's Mr. Broderick who gives off the vibe of someone who would rather go through life with his shirt tail flapping. Although Oscar describes Felix as the only man in the world with clenched hair, this Felix can't resist disarranging his slicked coiffure. Is that how you pronounce coiffure. it? Coiffure. Coiffure when he's distraught. Uh, whether it's intentional or not, certain moments summon so exactly the star's performance and producers that you wonder where the songs have gone. Mm. Yeah, uh, that was that was typical of the response, and it, it was kind of like a let a letdown from the producers for a lot of people. Yeah, and maybe because I had low expectations when I watched. And again, this is not a very high quality, but if you know the play, I was able to watch this video because I I don't know it line by line, but I rec I can watch the play and follow it without hearing every word, and. I just thought, I thought it worked. Brad Garrett is Murray. Oh, that Not Eddie Garrett. <laughs> yes. Brad, okay, I can see that. Now, uh, so Garrett, you're encouraging people to legally tape Broadway no, plays no, on YouTube. That's what I hear. No, I'm just encouraging people to Google. Uh, oh, okay. You know Matthew Broderick, Nathan Lane, and if you happen to see a video, you might want to just check it out. So, um, uh, <laughs> or Actors Equity will hear me and they'll pick it down. So what I'm saying is uh, they should do it again. Yeah, I'm surprised there hasn't been like, a, that's 2006, Six. you said? Yeah. Yeah, and even then, I think some of the reviews uh, also thought the play wasn't holding up, the play's dated, whatever. Yeah, so I thought about that. I did think that if you stage it today, I wonder, but hey, how about you can't have someone else update it, right? That would be... So it's funny you should ask that, Ted, because uh, one... The, the, one of the last things that Neil Simon did with the odd couple is he did in 2002 write what he called Oscar and Felix a new look at the odd couple, uh, which was pretty much his attempt to do what you're saying is like, you know, try to set the same play, the same characters in the current present day. And it's kind of like what he did with the female odd couple, but now going back to the original characters. And it never played in New York. It did premiere in Los Angeles. And uh, uh, John Larroquette from Night Court, from Night Court as Oscar, and uh, Joe Regalbuto. Right, I think it's Regalbuto from Murphy Regal Brown and Street Hawk for oh. my for my Street Hawk TV series fans. <laughs> who, who are they? He, he was well. There may be some. <laughs> he was Norman Tuttle. He was oh. Jesse Mock's computer guy. You don't know what I'm don't know about. any. I don't know any of those words mean what you're saying. Uh, okay. I didn't even know there was a show called Street Hawk. Um, but yes, he was Felix. And um, uh, I have read it. It is very hard to attain. Well, basically, both the female odd couple, I should say, and Oscar and Felix are only available in Samuel French acting editions of the play, which you can order directly from Samuel French, or as it is now called, Ted, I don't know if you follow these kind of 
entertainment mergers, but they are now Concord Theatricals, which is like a merger. They acquired Samuel French and merged it with the, I think, Tams Whitmark Musical Theater. Like it's, they're now part of this whole conglomeration. So there, you go to the Concord Theatricals uh, website, you can order a, a print copy of uh, the uh, female version of The Odd Couple and, or uh, for the Oscar and Felix, I read they have an ebook version of uh, Oscar and Felix. Here's the opening paragraph of Variety's review of <laughs> Felix yes. and Oscar. Neil Simon's latest version of The Odd Couple is a new paint job on an old vehicle. The car has lost some of its original charm, and the engine shows the heavy wear of its mileage, but it's still a classic. In the second revamp, Simon rewrites, but he doesn't really reimagine. Joe Regalbuto, there's no L at the end of it, Joe Regalbuto, manages to make the character Felix his own, more so than John Larroquette does with Oscar, but he doesn't do anything surprising. Regalbuto just seems comfortable in the role, fussy, needy, and always on the verge of tears. And he cleans his sinuses with a plum. Larroquette, who really is a terrific actor, seems to be holding back. Every time he finds something playful, he pulls away as if he's trying hard not to do anything the original Oscar, Walter Matthau, would have done. But he thereby ends up doing not much at all. His Oscar ends up being a bit of a bore, not nearly slovenly enough and not possessing the joie de vivre that makes the character so appealing. Yeah, it was not received well, which is why it never went anywhere, and which is why it's hard to find even the script. Um, it is, but I read it. I read it cover to cover, uh, and it was an interest. Again, this, yeah, as a research project, it is interesting if if, if someone wants to go down this road. Uh, I'm not going to go into a line by line analysis. So just sum up. But I encourage anyone who's curious to go look at it. Once again, this is not simply. Uh, 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 it's not simply a paint job. Uh, at least I don't think, I think Neil Simon was more ambitious than that. While there are a few, it's not so much the updating of the major changes. Uh, there are some of that. They have cell phones, but of course this is 2000. So they have flip phones, you know, not smartphones. So some of the phone calls are done that way. Uh, here's a line that I, I clipped out to share with you, give you an idea of the kinds of updates he does. In Act 1, when uh, when they find out about the divorce, when they find out that Francis kicked him out, uh, this is a kind of a paraphrase of the original scene. Uh, they, Roy says, where'd he go, Oscar? Oscar says, he went out to kill himself. He actually said that to her? He didn't say it. He Now in the play, it's like he sent her a telegram. Do you remember this? In the movie, too. Uh, in the and now he says he emailed her from his laptop a suicide email he was going to tell her how but his battery ran out hmm. so now but there's not a lot of that because he, like he i think neil simon is still a very old fuddy-duddy guy then he's not really interested in updating all these things he wants to try, try to cash in what he does do is he writes he again writes totally new dialogue scene by scene and in some cases I'd say it's like more than 50% new dialogue from the original play. And in some cases, it's a paraphrase, but something he just goes off in a totally different direction. And again, a lot more dirty jokes, a lot more talk about sex, um, a more a, a more kind of uh, gay jokes, uh, making you know, fun of the idea of people thinking they're gay. Um, it is, I don't like it as much as the original script, but 
it's not as the jokes are not as strong i think i think the original is just so well crafted uh it has a rhythm to it when you see the original play uh I, so I don't think it's an improvement, but it certainly was interesting to see him like rewrite the scenes. It's the same plot, go page by page, basically the same things are happening. Uh, but he clearly changes his mind about some of, uh, of the, the, the reactions that Oscar and Felix have to each other. Um, so it's hard to summarize, but here's what he does with the Pigeon Sisters now. Now that he's on a he was on a roll with the Spanish prison sisters, he makes them just Spanish women. Uh, and Maria Conchita Alonso played one of them in the uh, LA premiere. Um, so that has a lot of the same jokes as the fe female. He just transposed a lot of the jokes from the female odd couple version. Very little of the Pigeon Sister dialogue survives then in this. Um, the last thing I found interesting is I have a theory that I, there's at least one reference I'm pretty sure of, and maybe a few others, where I thought Neil Simon was kind of referencing the steep the TV show. Like there are things that are not in the play to play that he suddenly like makes a reference to. And one of them is uh, when the pigeon when the, the Spanish sisters come out at the end saying they found Felix after Oscar kicked them out, they say he looked so depressed on the sidewalk sitting there on his suitcase. Oh yeah. Right. And I that's that's an image from the TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Neil Simon who like originally poo-pooed the idea of the of the series i think he ended up watching it and getting and we know he made a cameo on it but he kind of some of the stuff kind of stayed in his head from the show well what he could have done for either version was put in a, a assume line reference if you don't want to watch a tv series <laughs> the assume line. yes right right so it sounds like the version next first of all but my question to you earlier was is it heresy for someone else to try to update this play again? <sighs> well, it would be, I think, honestly, it would be, um, I think the best chance someone would have is if they just took, kind of what Gary Marshall did, take the premise and just come up with a new plot or the start, start from scratch right. with the same premise. Yeah, I see. And not saying. try to replicate yep. the same page by page stuff i, I agree think, yes yeah. somebody so it would be interesting to, to see a good a funny writer try Who's, to take that but is there a neil simon of today <laughs> well i think you know it's hard to say about the theater is we don't theater, have this, in theater we don't have famous playwrights much anymore um well i think of lynn manuel miranda as right well i don't think he's gonna do it but not him but i think of him as a, in terms of famous yeah, yeah well we don't have famous playwrights uh so, we so, I mean, there's David Ives is probably the most successful comic, comedy playwright now. And so he's someone who might be able to do something interesting with it. Might be interesting if a British playwright or, you know, someone else. Uh, there are a lot of great British playwrights uh, writing comedy now. Um, I don't know. But I think it would have to be someone like just uh, let's take the idea of two, you know, dumped guys or girls and or. Here's my idea. Yeah. You have a gay man and a right. gay woman who are dumped, oh. and they live together. Well, there you go. Well, that's kind of a Will and Grace kind of. That's true. That is. Sort of. Will was Grace wasn't gay. No, but I mean, you're kind of evoke. That's kind of what it would feel like. I mean. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, Bob uh, Lusak makes a good argument that like so many 
sitcoms after the odd couple were basically roommate comedies yes yeah the, the, the idea of a roommate comedy i mean maybe there was something before the odd couple existed but i would think this is kind of the yeah archetype of that right right, right. garrett you found the and this is referenced in the bobble sack book you found i think it's from barefoot in the park which well, was written by is, neil hefty there you is found a the odd couple theme with let me just say what it is it's the odd couple theme with vocals Yes. So uh, the famous Neil Heft, that's something we didn't talk about. So I'm glad we got this in that, of course, the Neil Hefty music is another thing that that uh, came from the movie was written for the movie. And uh, and it, but what uh, I never knew before recently was that it was originally written were lyrics were written for it to possibly be sung. So if you get the there is a soundtrack album of Neil Hefty's music, it's actually though called it's a combination combination of odd couple and barefoot in the park which neil hefty also wrote the music for the movie so if you go on i found this online on a music streaming service so you should be able if you just go ahead and search for barefoot in the park you'll find it and if the last track is the demo it says the vocal demo which they decided not to use and i think wisely uh with lyrics by the great sammy khan uh who was indeed one of the great songwriters uh i think this clearly is lyric are lyrics that are made up contrived to match the theme because they're just kind of dumb i think and so i don't think you'll have to really could have imagined this as a song but i thought it's worth a listen but wasn't uh in the in the uh bobble sack book didn't it say that the theme was written for something else first or am I confusing that with something? I that may be I I don't remember that uh no I, I yeah I don't see that here I, I think I'm confusing it with something else okay so we'll play it's an it's a minute 30 we may not play the whole thing but here's see here, how long here we can take it yeah no matter where they go they are known as the couple they're never seen alone so they're known as the couple As I've indicated They are never quite separated They are teasing apart Don't you think that it's odd? Their habits I confess None can guess with the couple one says no, it's yes, more or less with the couple. But they're laugh provoking, yet they really don't know they're joking, don't you find? When love is blind, it's kind of odd. Don't you think it's odd? Don't you think it's odd? Don't you think it's odd? Yeah, that's pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> Not surprising that they didn't use it. Well, first of all, it completely, you know, just keeps drawing attention to the, makes the gay theme, you know, uh, worries uh, <laughs> more. I'm sure that's one reason, one reaction Paramount had. 
But it's almost like someone gave, they just gave to Sammy Khan this assignment. It's like, look, just you got to use the words odd and couple. In yeah. A song. <laughs> uh, you know, the Star Trek theme also famously has lyrics. It really did? It did, yeah. Wow. Um, I've, all, I've heard parody lyrics, but I've never, there were serious lyrics. There were ser serious lyrics uh, that were uh, never used. Um, uh, the, the first line is Beyond the rim of the starlight, my love is wandering in starflight. Gene Roddenberry wrote these oh, lyrics. Really? Oh. Anyway, uh, and I should say that the theme in the movie is like that's reassuring. That's probably another reason that the movie is disappointing to me is because the theme's there. So I'm expecting. It sets it up, right? Yeah. And, and, there's, and on this soundtrack album, you'll get. There's like 10 different tracks that Hefty wrote for the movie. And you'll, the main thing and two other tracks were recycled a lot in the show that you'll recognize, mostly from during season one. So some of the other music also went into the show. Anything else? Or are we going to ready to wrap uh, I think, up? I think we've run All right. Thing, well, <laughs> we've done a lot more than I expected we would yes. cover, uh, given we've not seen much of this content at all. But thank you for all your research. And um uh, we will be back. If you have uh, comments, feedback, if you are old enough to have seen the original plays, early plays, please write us and tell us your thoughts and we'll share them. Uh, you can email us at 1049pod at gmail.com. And we'll be back in a few weeks to discuss the mostly TV versions of The Odd Couple that came after The Odd Couple. Right? That's Garrett? right. Okay. Yes. Good night. Goodbye. Good night. Good night, Phoenix.